officers have the power over citizens of a life and death, a power shared only by the state. Only the state can put you to death or a policeman with a gun. But then it was the police who said, what are you going to do next? I choked out more people than any other officer on the Portland Police Bureau. It was my go-to move. I mean, at the end of the day, when when you, when you have a problem that you cannot solve it by yourself, you get a call us and we'll be there for service and we'll do our best to, to help you solve that problem. It is March 1843, and in Oregon, something needs to be done about those goddamned wolves. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. The police have to be society's mommy because society is so freaking stupid. And a group of Cayuse men and leaders got together and made the decision that it was time for to dispatch Dr. Whitman. When it all fails, call the cops. Simply going in and arresting people and then leaving is not good enough. Somebody has to step in, and it has to be the police. Um, I'm not sure that it was as much racially motivated as that we just had dead possums and we hated the burger barn. Just to let you know that as a police officer, that I love you and I care about you. In July of 2016, just about a week after his swearing-in as the chief of the Portland Police Bureau, Mike Marshman said, This is a time where the members of the community, as well as the members of the Portland Police Bureau, have lost faith in its leaders. In our present era, much of the nation seems to have had enough with the police departments across our country. Black Lives Matter is a movement that is active in almost all of our communities and in some sections of Oregon, too. The occupiers of Malheur have placed policing forefront onto our screens and into our earholes. And there is indeed a divide in this state. Dialogues of how we want to be policed are taking place. And a historical perspective may prove fruitful. Context may be appreciated we asked a panel of experts to help us weigh in on these discussions, and we are looking forward to sharing their observations with you. This series will not be an authoritative examination of policing in Oregon, but rather examples of how we have been policed in the past, and perhaps some ideas to consider while the present discussions are taking place. And we're going to get a little bit futuristic on your asses, too. But before we begin our examination of policing in Oregon, we have to really define policing. And it is not an easy task to do, because isn't it really more than just cops catching bad guys? Haven't we, as a community, intentionally constructed this power paradigm? Haven't we acquiesced to being controlled and punished by the policers? As former Portland Police Chief Charles Moose once said, Policing in a democratic community, in a democratic society, 
is very complex. There are many, many mixed messages and there are many conflicting goals. It is not an easy task providing services where you pay us to make you behave. So we asked our panel of experts what they thought that term means. We asked every single expert, what is policing? From now on, you are policemen. And your duty, 24 hours a day, every day, is to protect the lives and property of the citizens you have sworn to serve. Why does a man become a policeman? There are many reasons. Some are interested in working with people. Others want to devote their lives to public service. There are those intrigued by the excitement that service and policing offer. Whatever the reasons, once a man becomes a member of a police force, he is judged by his performance and results. Results are the key to a successful police officer. Results in suppressing crime, arresting offenders, and in maintaining the peace. These results are obtained only by hardworking individuals, well-trained and well-led, men who are dedicated to ensuring the rights of all people under the law. Charles Moose was Portland's police chief from 1993 to 1999. He defined the term policing in his Ph.D. dissertation. Moose wrote that, Policing is one of the major formal devices designed to bring about the regulation and control of behavior in a community. If social disapproval and other informal social processes fail to contain crime, drug abuse, and sociopathic behavior, the police are then expected to provide a main line of defense against deviants and lawbreakers. Parenthetically, the police in modern societies are also charged with the maintenance of public order, as well as with the control of crime. We asked a few police officers to give us a street-level view of what is policing. First, Portland Police Officer Laurent Bonzik of the Central Precinct. People call us for service and we, we show up and we, we try to, uh, to, to help them solve their problems in a satisfying manner. Um, I mean, I guess the textbook definition would be uh, uh, fighting crime and the, the fear of crime. But in practicality, we, we're problem solvers. That's what we do. Problem solving seems like a unique skill set for the officer. But this theme is also reiterated by retired Portland police detective Don DuPay. Policing is answering the call that the citizen uh, sends to the police, whether he needs uh, somebody removed from his doorway because they're asleep or whether there's an armed robbery in progress. So the police are called for everything, uh, much of which they shouldn't have to deal with, but they do. When it all fails, call the cops. Professional policing is truly a new civic feature. It is generally accepted 
that Britain's Metropolitan Police Service of London, established in 1829, was the first modern police force in the world. What designates modern in terms of policing? The National Law Enforcement Museum qualifies modern policing as being a stronger, more centralized, preventative police force designed to deter crime from happening rather than to react once it has occurred. It must have been considered a favorable tool of social control, as just 11 years later, the first modern American police force was established in the city of Boston in 1838, and New York City followed suit in 1845. Portland was not far behind. In the very first meeting of the city council on April 14, 1851, policing was the primary proposition. Ordinance number one, the first passed by the council, was a formal device established to police Portlanders. In the Portland City Archives, you can view the ordinance from the meeting. In flowing cursive ink, it says, There shall be elected annually by the city council a competent and discreet person to act as marshal of the city of Portland, who shall be governed by his acts by the act of the Legislative Assembly of Oregon Territory incorporating said city. Policing is at our core as a community. At a time when perhaps a thousand citizens lived within our little town's limits, Portlanders had decided that peace officers should be among us and patrolling between the stumps and the mud in the streets. The police force was in many ways created to preserve the wealth of Portland's merchants. Business interests were a primary concern of policing. Crime historian J.D. Chandler. So when we started policing in Portland, this is the 1850s, basically at the same time we started as a city, uh, we hired a, a, a town marshal. And his job was, number one, to keep the rioting out of the streets. Um, sailors would come to town, they'd get drunk and have fights. Sometimes they'd shoot, sometimes they'd stab, sometimes they'd bite. And it's not good for a town to have that going on. So we wanted someone who could keep that under control. We wanted someone who could bury the dead dogs and shoot them if necessary. So that was a job of the town marshal. We wanted our city street lights to be lighted at night, and the town marshal did that. Also kept the litter out of the street and cleaned the uh, council chambers where the city council met. And he collected the taxes. And this was pretty much the job of the town marshal. And that was done by one man up until right after uh, the Civil War. And then hired a deputy. A little while later, they hired another deputy and then a few years later hired a, fourth or a third and a fourth deputy, and um, that's when we decided we need to have a police force. And the job had gotten a little bigger by then, and you know, new technologies make it a little bit bigger, because uh, pretty soon we had to start uh, policing the river um, and keep people from stealing stuff on the, the riverfront. Let's step back even further, dear ass kicker. Before there was a city or even a state of Oregon, before even a territory was established, going back through the sands of time, from the moment the pink people showed up and began pilfering and pillaging land and resources from the native peoples of the Pacific Northwest, 
we have found the construction of a system of policing to be beneficial to legitimacy. We needed policing to provide us validity. Policing helped delineate and designate this space as Oregon, in a bureaucratic manner. When a community is endowed with a police force, specific assumptions can be made as to the development of that specific space. Policing begets definition and credibility. Portland Mayor Charlie Hales. Well, you know, there's Robert Peel, right? Sir Robert Peel, who wrote Peel's Principles. And we quote those occasionally in this office, as do people in the police bureau, because there are a lot of us that read those now 200-year-old words, or almost 200-year-old words, and say, wow, that was correct, and still is. He said things like, the police at all times should maintain a relationship with the public that gives reality to the historic tradition that the police are the public and the public are the police. And he talks about public trust and understanding, and, and um, he's right. It still is. So that's what policing is. It's where the police are empowered to take community values about safety and respect and turn them into enforcement of the law. Now, that sounds very pretty. Of course, sometimes it's not pretty at all. Retired Portland police captain and former police information officer C.W. Jensen. The easiest way to explain it is, and now this used to be the way society worked, you were a kid, and until they sent you to school, you obeyed your folks, and you obeyed your folks, and you obeyed your teachers and everybody, and then you were 18, and you, you went to school, and people were there, to, there were rules, and people to tell you how to act. But when you move on past mommy and teachers, human beings are still unable to solve their differences. So basically, the police have to be society's mommy because society is so frickin' stupid. Department of Corrections proclaims that the first jail in our state was built in April of 1842. Named the Oregon Territory Jail, it was located in Oregon City. The Clackamas County Sheriff's website proudly proclaims the said jail was the first public building in Oregon, as well as the first jail west of the Rocky Mountains. But just across the river in the Couve is a replica of Dr. John McLaughlin's first jail, which was located at Fort Vancouver. Now, the Fort Vancouver jail was a fairly late construction in the fort's history, early 1840s, putting it right at the same timeline as the Oregon city structure. But the Hudson's Bay Company and Dr. John McLaughlin was indeed the law enforcement arm of the region, well before that. Being shackled in irons was the only option for misbehaviors before the cell was constructed. Historian Carlos Schwantes calls McLaughlin harsh, brooding, and given to occasional temperamental outbursts. Punishment could include lashings laid on at the cannon at the big house, 
right there at the fort. Historian J.D. Chandler. The way he enforced the law as the governor of the Hudson Bay Company was a very personal thing. And um, so, you know, if you broke a law that someone was personally invested in, then you could be charged with that. They even had the power to hang you. And they did hang some people. Um, but mostly, Dr. McLaughlin wanted to keep the peace. And he, he did that. Uh, so crimes got overlooked. It really kind of set the tone for the way the Portland police were going to handle law. Uh, because, you know, the community sometimes accepts crime and sometimes doesn't. And so the police goes along with what the community wants. Dr. John also policed the native couples that the company came in contact with through their spheres of commercial trade. As historian Francis Fuller Victor wrote, It was the custom of the Hudson's Bay Company, when the Indians committed any offense not amounting to a serious crime, to demand pay for it or, if pay was not forthcoming, to require their chiefs to have them whipped, the culprits received their chastisement with little sense of degradation. But when the crime was considered serious, Dr. John could wield what historians Ruby and Brown called a heavy authoritarian hand. On March 10, 1829, the Honorable Company's ship William and Anne was attempting to cross the Columbia River bar and wrecked on Clatsop Spit. The 26 crewmen died, and the local Clatsops helped themselves to the flayed open hold, which contained some considerable quantity of rum in addition to trade goods. Feeling disrespected, a little over a month later, Dr. McLaughlin sent gunboats with 60 armed men down the Columbia to Point Adams to seek revenge. Clatsop Village was bombarded from the sea, and then the company's men hit the beach and invaded. They burned the village, looting and pillaging. Perhaps 20 Clatsops were murdered, and all the canoes and food in the village were ordered to be destroyed. Dr. John's primary policing position was to protect the economic well-being of his employer, to protect the stakeholders' interest, to protect their property. Charles Moose. You want to have respect for all people, but there's a long history of criminals making mistakes. Um, you know, that uh, criminals might not be the smartest people, uh, and so consequently the police don't have to be the smartest. We just have to be smarter than the dumbest criminal or the smartest criminal. But, you know, because it, it's, it's, there are people that do rocket scientists and stuff, and they're police officers. So, you know, we, we select good people and we try to train them, but let's not get confused here. You know, they are people... The real smart people don't come to our organizations, okay? Bright people come to our organizations and we're happy about that. But the really, really smart people, people that go to Harvard, yeah, they don't become police officers. So if the crooks were really, really, really smart, we probably wouldn't catch very many of them.
sexy, shirtless, young adult lycanthropes aside, wolves are a pain in the ass, especially when they're eating your chickens and sheep and cows. And thus, the foundation for a state of Oregon was born, and policing was the hook. In the early 1840s, outside of the Hudson's Bay Company and the native folks, there were just a few scores of other people, mostly of the pink variety and mostly American, and a considerable few Canadians. These settlers had sent letters and petitions to the United States Congress seeking some sort of federal recognition of the area south of the Columbia River. But so far, nothing was forthcoming. In the absence of power, some self-governance and self-recognition was needed. Thus, the Wolf Meetings were born. March 6th of 1843, at Joseph Gervais' house on the Willamette, the Wolf Meeting was judged by one attendee to be one of the most harmonious I have ever attended. The committee formed was created to take into consideration of taking measures for the civil and military protection of this colony. As the resolution passed stated, wolves, bears, panthers, and other wild beasts were a threat to the cattle, or the property of the American settlers. This was just natural protection for our property in animals liable to be destroyed by wolves, bears, and panthers. How is it, fellow citizen, with you and me and our children and wives? Have we any organization upon which we can rely for mutual protection? Is there any power or influence in the country sufficient to protect us and all we hold dear on earth from the worse than wild beasts that threaten and occasionally destroy our cattle? Who in our midst is authorized at this moment to call us together to protect our own and the lives of our families. One of the original Genesis moments for a territory in the Oregon country was the need to police ourselves, to protect our shit. Before taxation, before a decision on currency or legal tender, before nearly every other bureaucratic construction, Oregonians wanted policing. And this is a political moment as well. For if you have to be policed, you have to establish a political boundary for that police force to operate within. Modest taxes need to be collected. As small as they might be, bureaucracies are created. Policing gave the territory some political autonomy and a definite separation between itself and the Hudson's Bay Company. As these discussions on a territorial structure continued, just a few weeks later, a vote on forming a provisional government was conducted at Shampooey. We don't want to pay a tax on a fucking window. But this form of policing was to protect property. Remember Charles Moose's definition of policing? He called it a formal device designed to bring about the regulation and control of behavior in a community. Those seem like two very different missions for a police force. Chief Moose talked about the relationship with the police and the community. Let's assure that the Portland Police Bureau belongs to the community. It was said, we are the people and the people are the police. Policing is a profession of service. It is not a profession of excitement. 
former Portland Police Chief Derek Foxworth. You know, policing is um, looking out for the welfare of others. Um, you have a dedicated group of people um, who have that responsibility, and we expect that group of people to work with the community to establish community expectations, um, to work with them to keep their community safe. And, you know, police officers uh, have to be part of the community. They cannot be apart from it. They must work with the community. So ultimately, they're, they're accountable to the citizens, correct? Absolutely, yes. The title for this podcast is The Beaver Strikethrough Police State, because before all else, we wanted cops. Policing is the genesis of Oregon. It's day one stuff for us, so old hat. We should be really, really good at policing, almost second nature. Especially because as citizens, we are able to tell the police how we want them to police us. The police are the public and the public are the police. As Mayor Hales just reminded you, they are accountable to us. They should represent us. They should be us. Yet Portland Police Chief Mike Marshman's quote at the very beginning of this episode seems to shake those assumptions to their very core. Chief Marshman separated the police from the community, and he said that we have lost faith in the leaders of the Bureau. What has happened? Why the disconnect? And what do you want as an Oregonian, dear ass kicker? Do you want a police force that is part of your community? I guess if I had to come up with a new motto for law enforcement, maybe we should try something like with liberty and justice for all. Wouldn't that be much better than to serve and protect? Remember, we have all agreed to be policed by these organizations. This is all our doing, and we can switch up this paradigm at any time. Not working for you? Let's just do something different. In our next few episodes, we will be looking at how we have policed ourselves differently in the past and where we might be heading into the future. for listening ass kickers and be on the lookout for future podcasts from orhistory.com we hope that you agree that today's episode featured some kick-ass oregon history today's podcast was written recorded edited and produced by doug kank crispin and andy Lindbergh. citations are available on request kick-ass oregon history is on twitter at oregon underscore history Follow us on Instagram, at History. We're also on the Facebook. The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Want more Kick-Ass Oregon History in your life? Become a podcast supporter. Learn more 
at orhistory.com. Just don't get too close to Mr. Kent Crispin. Society is so frickin' stupid. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass. History.com.